This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic and Homeschool. On this episode, I finish my chat with Paul Johnston about going green with serverless. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 60. So, all right, so we talked about the big three a little bit and compared mm-hmm. them in terms of their green and stuff like that. Uh, but you, in that paper that you wrote, you have this cloud league table um, in there uh, where you compare them. So I'd love to I'd love to know more like, you know, what about Alibaba and Oracle and IBM and some of these other things? Like where does where do they all stack up against one another? So they they aren't as big. Let's, let's kind of just be clear right. on that one. They aren't as big. Um, and their green credentials are less clear. And so, for example, Alibaba is very big in China for obvious reasons. It's a mm-hmm. Chinese business. And yes, right. they have a footprint outside of China, but they're primarily Chinese business. Uh, and when we looked and researched and were trying to find out about all of their green credentials, we found very little information whatsoever. You know, it was it was almost non-existent you know we found a little bit about efficiency in data centers and putting things in you know cold regions of china and you're like well that doesn't actually change anything if you're growing at a massive rate then yeah you know it's it's it changes the conversation a little bit. And you're so, can you so, do that, though? Can you pack your servers in snow? Does that help with the cooling, Bill? It depends on the server, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> um, so you end up with this, you end up with this, not all the conversation, not every conversation is equal. And uh, this this is shown across the political spectrum as well. You know, so ch- the, the conversation in China is is very different to the conversation outside in terms of industrial nations. So uh, industrialized nations such as the US, UK, Australia, uh, and Europe as well. So you have you have very different social context. So but anyway, coming back to so Alibaba, we just found very little information. IBM and Oracle actually both had lots of information. IBM's had a, a, a commitment to renewables and sustainability for a very long time. And I think since the 70s, if I remember right. So, you know, they've had, they have um, good credentials, but they don't offset their renewables in all regions, uh, offset right. their data centers in all regions. I think that, I think I remember from the top of my head, because uh, I can't remember everything. Um, <laughs> I think they are um, uh, renewable in, uh, the UK, and I think Oracle are renewable in the UK anyway. But uh, but you know some some of these regions they are renewable, but not all of them. But it's not clear unless you dig into the paper, and you know unless you dig into their you know information. Nobody, as far as I can tell, you know has a little green dot against a region that says this one's yeah. renewable. And, and it would it would be so much easier if they did. Um, so these other these other organisations, you know, they they none of them apart from Google and Microsoft have really made a play for being the green advocates in the space. And even, you know, Amazon does, but they, but that's a whole other conversation, which I'm not going to go into at this point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, those, those three, the three lower down, I think are, 
I think are struggling to be able to play on the same uh, in the same conversation. I think they would like to be seen as green, but I don't think they are really pushing the agenda because they don't see it as a point of differentiation. All right. So then what does the tech industry have to do as a whole? So I know this is I know you had some recommendations in your paper about this, but just like what are the what are the maybe the top two or three things that the tech industry as a whole could do, you know, to to address you know, the climate crisis? Oh, that, the, the climate crisis as a whole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, or I guess their impact on it anyways. Um, let's, let's start with let's start with that. We could build from there. I think I think. Uh, oh, I don't know anymore. I, I I think I've gone backwards and forwards. Don't give on, up, Paul. Don't I, don't give it's up. Not that. It's not that. It's just it's just there are so many things. I think I think my biggest thing is I think the tech industry needs to find its uh, activist voice. I think that that would be my my point. I think sitting there and going oh everything's going to get fixed by technology is entirely the wrong approach you know and i think my my personal view is much as i like tesla's technology i don't think tesla is going to save the world and much as i you know and i am not a, i'm not an elon musk fan i you know i think i just i'm not uh, i find him very difficult in in a number of different ways, just uh, that's that's as much as I'm going to say. But I, I I find I don't think he listens to this podcast, so don't worry about it. That's fine. But I find I find the ideas a lot of people within tech um, look at techno utopianism, and let's call it that because I think that's a pretty yeah. simple way. Of, you know that that technology will save us. Right. And the more that I look, and the more that I look at. Um, what is happening in the world and and the speed that technology is evolving and what we need to do and the speed that we need to do it in terms of climate change i don't think we're going to get anywhere near fast enough technology evolution so we have to do something else we can't just expect technology to catch up fix it and just for us to carry on so i think technology needs to learn to find its activist voice i think we need to be activist against those organizations who are not doing enough who are highlight who say they're green and are not and in this amazon um, i i will call this out you know much as i love their serverless technologies and the people who work there are brilliant the wider organization i think is not doing a good enough job in terms of its uh its green credentials i think they are mm-hmm. um that that hasn't been good enough from my point of view uh, and i i I want them to do better because actually I think a green Amazon would be a great thing for the world and I think they can do it. Right. And so I, ha- mm-hmm. you know, I, I have seen Amazon and what it does when it's amazing. And I think if they turn themselves around and actually did the green thing properly, then I think the, the hope for the future would be significantly higher. So I, mm-hmm. that is why I want Amazon to change is because I think they have the power to be a force for good. And I think they're not doing that at the moment enough. So that's why. Yeah. So I think, I think, <laughs> I think, you know, I think find the activist, find, find the place that you within tech want to change and go and change it. Because I don't think we have anywhere near as much time as people think. I think your career in tech in 10 years time will not look like the career in tech that you think it is now. Yeah. You know, we are, we are in a, we are in a completely changing environment. The, the, you know, <laughs> depending on what happens in the U S in the next few years, you know, we, we are, we are 
the world is changing around us. We are in a, an inflection point that I don't think is going to, uh, that I don't think many people are aware of. And this is just, you know, slightly rounded conversation. But in right. terms of people in tech, it is very much don't just let it happen around you. If you want to make a change, go and do something about it. And so that is green your data centers. It is uh, go and find an organization to go and get involved with. It is find your political voice, whatever that is. Yeah. You know, it is inform yourself. It is get involved with all of the things like um, all of the Black Lives Matter protests and all of that. I think it is important to find all of those areas and get involved because once you start getting involved, you will find other areas of intersectionality that will then help you look at and see all of the uh, all of the wider issues and all of the systemic problems. And then you will start to go, this is huge and we've got to do something about it. And it just becomes a yeah. bigger problem. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think the tech industry needs to, you know, uh, speaking as someone from the UK, and I know this is a massive rant, but speaking as someone <laughs> from the UK, I look, I look at the US and I see the, the US tech industry and I see the money in the US tech industry. And I actually think that, I don't think we need the technology. I think we need the money and the brains to go into other areas. And I think we need them to stop thinking about how to make technology. I think we need to start them thinking in how to, how to start being humans again. And right. so there's a, there's a very big difference in that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, I wrote a blog post about it. It was quite fun. Um, All right. Anyway, you can find that. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know where to start to respond to everything that you just said, other so, than I, I agree with you. Brilliant. Um, that was great. And, you know, the funny thing you mentioned about Amazon just not being, you know, or not doing as good a job as it could. I mean, I think that is, again, part, partially an infrastructure problem in a sense partially a priority problem, partially this thing where, you know, I think it's FedEx decided to stop delivering their packages. So they had to speed up their, um, you know, their own fleet for delivery. Um, they went, they, they didn't, I mean, why not electric delivery vans? Like why, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the technology's there. Yeah, maybe it would have cost a little bit more. Um, maybe yeah. it would have taken a little longer to roll out. But like those little things, I mean, I would say little things, huge things like that, that they could have done that would have had a massive impact. Um, and again, I don't, you know, singling out Amazon is probably not fair. I mean, I think every country, I'm sorry, every company in the world, um, the vast majority of them are are under that same thing. So any incremental change is good. But I think you're right. We just need massive systemic change at this point. Um, otherwise, you know, that that clock is ticking and we're going to yep. run out. Um, we're going to run out pretty fast. Um, so I guess another question, though, about that is big companies like Amazon and Microsoft and IBM and even Oracle and and some of these other ones, they have resources, big tech companies, Facebook, yep. Google, um, you know, the uh, you know, the Twitters and things like that. Um, they're building their own data centers or, of course, they're building data centers that are shared that other people can use. Are they more likely to become green or have more efficient data centers and be more up to date because they're not? I mean, I think about when I had my own, I, I rented a rack in a, in a co-location facility, you know, when I had my web development company, I had one rack, you know, with the power coming in, whatever. I had servers in there that were like six or seven years old because you're like, ah, somebody's old website's running on that thing. I'm just going to keep it running. And it was probably terribly inefficient. So it's a massive investment for companies to continue to upgrade their servers and continue to, you know, uh, make their data centers or their their on-premises uh, locations 
uh, green. So is that something where maybe there would be a, a nice a nice point where moving to the cloud actually would be the smart move from a, a green efficiency standpoint? Yeah, it's a massive question. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, you you well, had a massive rant before that, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I'm just getting I'm just getting you back. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, yes, I think I think. I mean, in the end, I mean, I know that I know the joke is you know, cloud is just other people's servers and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's just yeah. it, it, it's it's always underneath it. There's just servers and there's just servers. But I think that you know. Trying, trying to make these servers more efficient. Trying to make these data centers more efficient. There is, there is still constant churn. There's, you know, we don't, we don't keep things efficient. You know, two, three years down the line, the the, the server that you were using is not efficient. It's six years, seven years, it's it's old. You don't want to be running stuff on there. You want to be running right. stuff on something that's that's efficient and new. And actually, there's an enormous amount of uh, waste. You know, e-waste in terms right. of, you know the the data center industry and it's not it's not straightforward you know the conversations around all of this are not straightforward so i think in terms of i think everyone needs to start thinking about moving to the cloud simply before simply because we need to we need to be reducing our um impact and if you're running stuff I think it's important to be able to go, actually, we need to be able to reduce the amount we run, you know, but that means understanding how that cloud that you're choosing to work with is working in terms of its sustainability. You know, so yeah. you can't just go, oh, we'll, we'll move it to X cloud and X cloud, whoever, you know, or Y cloud or Z cloud, or whoever it is. And, um, but we'll trust them to do the right thing. You've got to still have that relationship. You've got to still be able to go that that cloud. You, Mister Mister Cloud Person or Mrs Cloud Person, you you've got to tell me, you know, which are you using green electricity? Are you using renewables? How are you disposing of everything? What is your supply chain? How? I think that conversation over the next few years is actually going to become a much more common conversation. It's going to become more important. You know, mm -hmm. you are you are not going to be able to get away with. You know, we just run efficient data centers. That's not going to be the the um, the standard and, and reasonable response. That's going to be, you know, a table stakes. You know, green right. green data center will be a table stakes conversation, and the 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 best practice will be well, we're actually running 100% renewables, and we're putting more, you know, into the grid, and we're we're being as good a partner as we possibly can and all of that we got batteries we haven't got diesel generators we've got batteries yeah. you know it's all of that conversation that i think comes back to you so in terms of and, and maybe we will end up you know not using certain companies because their data centers are right. are not green uh, enough and maybe that is you know where we end up that actually societal pressure actually pushes these companies to do better but i don't think we're there yet i think we're, we're probably a couple of years away from two or three four away from that All right yeah and i and i i think that uh that conversation about e-waste is probably really important too because now i'm wondering where did my pentium 166 megahertz <laughs> you know computer go from 25 years ago um and my 32 megabyte uh ram module uh you know is that in a is that in a landfill somewhere did they melt it down is that in my new macbook i have no idea 
Hi everyone, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Homeschool. Homeschool is a new training resource for the modern developer. They provide guided training from the most recognizable names in serverless, machine learning, cloud security, front-end frameworks, and more. I'm sure we're all familiar with on-demand learning, just watching video after video after video, but Homeschool is different. It uses sprint-based learning and direct feedback from your instructor to maximize the results you see immediately. You can still learn from your own desk, wherever you are in the world, and each course requires about five hours per week to complete the module, work with your classmates, and take part in live Q&A with your instructor. And once you finish the course, you retain access to the platform forever. Homeschool's next courses are running in September, and you can choose from Jan Trey's, AKA the Burning Monks, Gold Standard 101 course, Production Ready Serverless, Simona Coton's Advanced React JS course, or Serverless Heroes, Slobodan Stojanovic, and Alex Simovic's AppSync and Amplify course. Now, if you want to take your cloud and serverless skills to the next level, check it out at homeschool.dev and reserve your spot today. So I think that's interesting what you said that, again, you want to make sure that these cloud, you know, that the cloud uh, infrastructure is efficient and it's green and, and you want to do that. But I think there's a bigger conversation around this is to say, if I was to buy... I don't know, a million dollars worth of Dell servers, brand new, highly efficient servers. I throw them into my data center. I'm running my own power. I have to buy my own batteries. I have to have my own backup. I have to have, you know, all of the all of the waste that's involved with that. Even if I make it incredibly green, two years from now, there's faster chips. There's new servers. Maybe I can swap out the chips and the servers. I don't have to get rid of the actual metal, uh, you know, the, the casings and things like that. But I'm, I have to make another massive investment in order for me to then upgrade. Whereas if I put my stuff in the cloud, even if the cloud is not as green as I want it to be today, maybe tomorrow they're a little more green. And then the day after that, they're a little more green. And then five years from now, they're 100% green. And it didn't cost me any more money other than what it cost me to run my, my workload. And that's one of the things that I go back to this and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, don't want to offend anybody here, but <laughs> climate change deniers, right? People who don't believe it's happening, um, you know, and I know we had to change it from global warming to climate change because they're like, oh, it's actually getting colder. Like, okay, you're missing the point. Um, but the, you know, getting colder in certain areas, um, you're missing the point. But my thought here is to say, is there anybody who disputes the fact that if you dump oil in a pond, that that's bad thing for the environment. Like you don't want to drink that water. You don't want to swim in that water, right? Like, can we agree that pollution is a bad thing, right? And so whether it's making the earth hotter or whatever, can we agree it's a bad thing? And if we can agree on that, right, then that's, that's a good thing. That gets us where we can think of maybe the moral part of this. But let's take it back to an, a more selfish level. If you are a business, and you can implement green things that are going to cost you less money over time. Yeah. I use serverless. I spend, I don't know, a tenth of the time writing code than I did before. Um, I have teams that are smaller, so I don't have to have 20 people to write yeah. an application. Now I can have five. The impact of that on the planet is huge, but also the impact of that on my wallet is huge. So I just, I'd love to get your perspective on that because I think that there is a, 
um, what's the right? It's like a snowball effect, right? That as you make one small change to increase efficiency, to reduce your carbon footprint, to do these things, save yourself some money, but then the impact of that is huge. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, you, you make a very good point. I think the, um, you know, going back to 2015, when I was, when I was CTO of uh, startup and you know it was started off with me building serverless stuff with AWS Lambda and DynamoDB. You know um, we were doing half a million monthly active users with a backend team of three. You know we weren't we weren't building complex you know servers and putting servers in a data center and having to run that and having to think about automation and DevOps and all of this kind of stuff and. Right having to think about, you know, end of life of whatever and all of that kind of stuff. We, we were literally able to change with whatever we thought we needed to worry about. And we could have done it in seconds if we actually needed to. We could have, right. you know, changed the way. And that was the choices that we made around the architectural choices that we made in terms of the technology and moving to the cloud. So I think, I think that makes a huge difference. We were able to do things like um, be remote all remote from the very beginning. So being right. remote means that we are not traveling to an office. And when we're not traveling to an office, there aren't the carbon emissions from traveling to an office. You know, yes, we're using electricity, but we can all, you know, use green electricity at home. And that's a heck of a lot easier right. than, you know, having to think about, uh, you know, whether or not our train or our car or you know, everyone buying an electric car is ridiculous because that's quite expensive. And, right. um, you know, all of those kinds of knock-on effects of, choosing you know having a smaller team having uh, a remote team having uh, thinking about smaller workloads thinking about you know that which takes less electricity thinking about all of those additional elements it's not just making a technology choice it's, it's as you say it is that that continual change and that comes back to the original point that i was making i don't know an hour ago was it a while ago <laughs> anyway which was that it's been uh, a while know, it's been a while yeah but that that constraint that you put that constraint on yourself of how can i how can i in this in this uh in making this application in making these decisions how can i reduce my impact as much as possible you know things like going remote it was a it was 2015 it was a no-brainer i didn't want to be traveling right. to wherever i wanted you know so why do i want to go to an office there's only a few of us we can all sit and talk over slack it was very straightforward right um you know and it, it was it was irrelevant as part, it was like it was like we don't need to be in an office. It's, ne it's unnecessary, and and so you reduce the emissions in that way, and then you reduce emissions in another way by you know we'll just use the cloud, and then we reduce emissions by well we'll stick constraints around the amount of code we use. And you, you just you just start to put those constraints in place, and then the, the snowball effect is that actually we had a tiny 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 amount of money that we were spending with AWS, but that we also had a huge amount of people that we could reach. And if no, and if people stopped using it, the budget went. You know, we were we were spending almost right. nothing. You know, it was like <laughs> right. from a cost perspective, from a from a, you know, my CEO basically never bothered talking to me about the budget. It just was irrelevant. It was like, oh, it just right. costs us what it costs us. Right. You know, it was. It, we had. I remember a conversation. He said, "Well, it costs us. Um, a, I think he said it was a dollar uh, to." Um, to get to to get to acquire people uh, and he goes well, how much does it cost you to to run this platform and i told him the number and he goes well that's less than the dollar a person then isn't it? i went yes and he goes well that that works then doesn't it you know <laughs> right. so, right. the, the know, numbers work out 
okay that's fine you know and it was it was it was that ridiculous when he started to work it out it was that ridiculous the the way that we were running our company and it was so positive for the company that it just was he just didn't bother asking us how we were doing it it was like you you do your thing just go on with it you're fine and i think that that's where the conversation gets lost uh, in terms of technologists and, you know, when they start talking about data centers or especially when you start talking about containers and, you know, you want to sit there and you want to go, I, don't, I just couldn't care less. But I think, <laughs> I think, I think one, one thing that is worth saying is that, uh, you know, being serverless doesn't mean you never use a server. I think there's one of the, one of the conversations that a lot of people go, so, well, it means you're always using functions. You're always using, um, uh, you're always using, you know, the the smallest. It's not that. It's about it's about using the most appropriate technology and and using it so that it it um, simplifies your application. So that if you know nobody's using it, then you get it scales to zero if possible. But there are times when that's not possible. You have to use something. So you use the most appropriate technology for the right reasons. And sometimes that will mean you need to use something like an ec2 instance you just mm -hmm. it just might mean that that's what you have to do it's just that you just know when those you have to understand the constraints understand why and then understand that if you do that you then have other concerns that come along with that and that's right. what being serverless means it's not about no servers it's about understanding constraints understanding platform and then building your application and understanding that you then need to manage that server in a different way and understand the application life cycle and you know, retire that server at some point or change it or be, a, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole lot more holistic than just, oh, we just use FAS. So I think there's a whole, whole conversation there, but it does for me come all the way back down to how can we reduce our impact? Because one of the other things is if you can reduce the impact in terms of, you know, operations, and if you can reduce the impact in terms of, you know, maintenance, right. no maintenance over time, significant carbon impact because you're not having to go back in and change stuff you're not having to make more code you're not having to test right. more stuff you know all of that it, it the knock-on impact is huge right now if i can summarize what you just said what i got out of that was that kubernetes is bad for the environment so i'm just going to use that as the takeaway um and and uh, go with that and go, we'll with, go that. with that um so the other thing like that you mentioned though this this idea of working remotely um, you know, maybe a benefit of COVID, which I don't think there are any benefits of it, but the the experiment of can most people work from home? Now, I fully understand. Now, again, get back to the Black Lives Matter and underrepresented communities, things like that. Like they are just not possible for people to work from home. Um, you know, eventually kids are going to have to go back to school and teachers are going to have to be in the classrooms and you're still going to have to have your, you know, your janitors, you're going to have your baristas, you're going to have your doctors, you're going to have, you know, that whole range of the economy still needs to exist. Um, but a lot of people in tech are very privileged and the ability to work from home um, is something that, I mean, I know a lot of people say, oh, I want, you know, I want the socialization and that's fine. But think about it this way. I leave my home. I don't turn my, my thermostat down to zero degrees and let, you know, let my, uh, my house freeze when I'm away from home and at the office, I still have to heat my house. So I'm heating an empty house, even if it's at a lower temperature, um, while, you know, my employer is heating a, you know, 10,000 square foot office. Um, uh, and, and so we're heating two places, we're wasting a lot of energy. And I spend all that time traveling, I spend well, not time travel, but I spend all that time <laughs> traveling to work, commuting to work. Um, yeah. And then I wish I could time travel, that would be nice, uh, could probably make a few things better. But um, <laughs> the, the 
but that's back to the Back to the Future reference. Um, <laughs> but if I could, uh, you know, it, the the amount of gas that I, I put in my car or the, the you know the train that I ride or whatever it is, those efficiencies there by having to power two places um, when you don't necessarily need to. And I think what we're going to see, and I'd be curious your your thoughts on this, but you know, I think what we're going to see is companies starting to build much smaller in-person offices, right? They could be regional, but I mean, having an office building that can fit a thousand employees just might not be necessary anymore. It might be that, you know, having an office building or an office space that has room for 50 employees and a few conference rooms and things like that, where certain people can go in on certain days. But for the most part, reducing that overall footprint, I think that's going to have a, a huge impact. And I think companies are going to are going to need to start thinking about how they reduce their footprint because I'm pretty sure that at some point the hammer is going to come down and these companies are going to have to rethink their entire global supply chain. Yep, and I agree with that completely. I think we are going to end up and I think tech is probably going to be the the lead for right. an awful lot of this. You know, we are an incredibly privileged group that we are essentially all working on computers. We all work, we basically need a computer and an internet connection and we right. can do our jobs. We don't even need to be at home. We can be at a coffee shop, which is, right. you, know, you know, it's not even fair for most people. It's like, it's like well, exactly. yeah, I am working from the coffee shop all day. Well, exactly. stuff you, everybody else. While, you're, while you are fully garbed in PPE trying yeah, to yeah. treat patients in the emergency yeah, yeah. room. Yes, like, well, exactly. We will, we will happily sit here with our, you know, latte and our Danish, you know, it's like, well, thanks, you know. <laughs> And we gave you TikTok and yeah, Facebook yeah. and Twitter, so exactly. stop complaining. Yeah, no, yeah, totally yeah. agree. <laughs> it's, it, you know, we are we we should we should recognise that privilege, and I think we should we should be at the forefront of right. trying to make society better. And I think we should understand that all that includes recognising that moving away from offices is going to have a significant impact on the the economies around those offices so there are going to be shops yeah. and coffee shops Absolutely. and things like that that are going to have to change and grow and move and so i think we we do need to recognize that 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 impact is going to be huge but i also think that we need to think about tools and using serverless to build those tools is very good but um i think we need to think about tools around uh, you know how we make how we make teams better how we make um uh organizations work better and it's not so much just the video you know the video is lovely but right. it's, you know a, a brief conversation i had with someone yesterday was like you know are we actually doing the um uh are, are we doing the storming and the norming and all of those kinds of things anymore you know so are we actually creating teams you know normally when you get together and you you're basically all together in an office you you have the fights and then you get all together you then get back together and you figure out how to I'm not sure you do that over a video call anymore. So there's all these other things that we're going to have to start yeah. learning how to do differently. Um, and I think technology and technology companies are going to need to be at the forefront of all of that. And so I think we're going to need to learn um, how to do all of those things a bit better. But but that will have an impact on carbon. It will have an impact on um, – and I think we'll be doing things like smart smart homes better than just you know having a nest controller or whatever it is in your home um i think we'll be doing things like repurposing office buildings into something else possibly homes possibly you know yeah. something else because i think that there are going to be a decent amount of empty buildings um yeah. uh, you know and i think our our 
city centres may change. This may take 10 years, but I, I think we're going to see some real changes in the way that cities work. But this is all much bigger, broader conversation. Um, right. But, you know, coming back to the serverless side of things, I think we are going to have to, I think we could well see a change in the way that uh, companies approach technology as well. I think we're going to see that, you know, we can't just throw money at tech. I think we're going to see, I think companies are going to want to see returns. They're going to want to be able to manage and understand how technology is used and where it fits. And that I think serverless is probably a better place than it realizes for that. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Hi, everyone. I want to take a minute to talk about New Relic. I know when it comes to things like observability and tracing, you're probably thinking I should talk about Datadog, Prometheus, or even open telemetry. And a month ago, I would have totally agreed with you. But New Relic did something a little out there. They literally reworked everything. They've actually been listening when people talk about blind spots, being stuck with a dozen different tools, or getting hit with hidden costs. So first, they went open source, making it so that you can actually instrument whatever you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole entire stack in one place, including your serverless workloads. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's just one UI with all the tools you need. Plus, they completely changed their pricing to a consumption-based model so you can easily predict your bill. Now, I love this pricing model because it scales as my cloud applications scale, just like with serverless. And best of all, there's a perpetual free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month totally free. You can try it and make sure it works for you before it costs you anything. So if you want observability made simple, New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check out their new platform at newrelic.com. All right, well, we've been talking for a very, very long time and I appreciate the time that you have. Um, if you have a few more minutes though, I do have some questions for my serverless chats insiders list. Um, and, uh, and again, if you wanna ask questions to guests like Paul, uh, go to serverlesschats.com slash insiders, sign up for the list and you can do that. Um, all right, so first question is from Eduardo and he said, he asked the question, does serverless contribute to climate change in a good or a bad way? Um, and uh, as cloud providers are investing in more green infrastructures, you know, what does that mean to users? So, so the difficult thing is that uh, it, it is probably a net good in terms of serverless. It is probably a net good because I suspect it is impossible. It, the reason it is hard to answer this question is, and I, I have asked this multiple times over years now, um, it's actually very difficult to build an equivalent application, not serverless and serverless and then work out what the actual electricity usage is. And then, you know, in terms of how do you basically calculate load? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you work out how much electricity is being used and for how long and over what period? And it, it's, it's right. actually incredibly difficult to do. Um, and also, you know, what does, what does, uh, take the pet shop example, which is the one we all grew up learning what the heck it was. And, um, you know, it's like, how do you build pet shop in serverless? And it's like, how, how everyone would do it differently mm -hmm. and so you, what is the reference implementation there isn't one so we don't know but if you take the idea of function as a service and if you take the idea of you know just using you know your functions only do one thing single responsibility principle if you take the idea of not running relational databases but running you know 
something like DynamoDB, some you know, completely different idea. If you take that, I suspect that you are probably net positive. It's a net good. Mm -hmm. But I cannot. I'm not. You, do your own research. Have a look yourself. Right. I, but uh, but that's what I'm going on, because it, because I think uh, the only real good proxy I have is the cost, and the majority mm -hmm. of serverless implementations are reduced cost. And you know, it's a pretty good proxy for the amount of electricity somewhere along the line. Right. You would think. Uh, you would think that if if you, if the cloud provider is charging you less then they're paying less, which means yeah, they're yeah. probably, you know, en energy and electricity is probably one of those things. I mean, the other thing I would say about that too is that, I mean, obviously you have a very large server that is running all these multi-tenants that, you know, is running Firecracker or whatever it's running yep. under the hood there. In you know, the hypervisor in order to spin up these little containers that are your Lambda functions or whatever your, whatever your fast of choice is, you know, obviously that server's running. The whole server's running. You can't shut down parts of the server. Um, there's probably, you know, some efficiencies, obviously, to the CPU that if the workload is is low, then it's not burning as much uh, electricity. But you still have to have a lot of servers turned on to be able to handle the spike in load. Yep. You can't just have somebody saying, oh, wait, now, we, you know, now we've got yep. every server's used. Let's turn on another one. I, I, you know, obviously that is capacity planning is still a thing that needs to be done in these data centers. So um, even as efficient as serverless might be from your implementation, I think at least what you're saying is, even though those servers are running full time, I am only using energy when my part of it runs. So I'm at least reducing it a bit. So I agree with you. It's a hard question to answer. It's but an I, I difficult one. Yeah. I like to feel better. Part? <laughs> uh, the second part was there one. Oh, what does it mean to what does it mean for end users? But I think you I think you sort of I, answered that. I did, yeah, yeah, I did answer. Yeah. Um, all right. So Mark asked another question, and this is again going back to um, you know probably putting AWS in the spotlight. But um, AWS has the worst credentials for powering their data centers of the big three. And this is what Mark says. Um, mm -hmm. They also have the most comprehensive and power efficient serverless offer offering, presumably even uh, presumably even more so once we have Lambda on Graviton. Two, mm -hmm. um, which lets us use less energy overall to run our apps. Um, so how should we look at the trade-off? So Amazon, maybe not as green for the data centers, but a much more efficient serverless offering. How do you, uh, how do you make that trade-off? Yes, and this, and this comes back to the conversation around, uh, so it, it's a difficult one. And again, this, this trade-off is, is complicated. I think if you are, um, if you look at it, the complexity, if you build, if it's complex to build an application, it's going to be complex to maintain and complex to manage at the end of the day. So you, if you are finding that, you know, it's, it's difficult to build, difficult to take forwards, you know, you need a bigger team, whatever it is. I think the amount of emissions you create doing that is probably, you know, in terms of the people, in terms of yeah. the amount of, um, you know, maybe get meetings, you know, the conversations that you have around it, you know, the the long term effects are probably going to be higher than if you take the more efficient offering and then choose to maybe uh, offset a, uh, you know, choose do your own offsetting, you know, take a take right. a, an approximation of an offset in some way, shape or form. I think that is probably that's the way I approach it anyway, which is to essentially say, yes, I know they're not perfect. And and because no company ever is, but you know, yes, right. I know AWS is is the worst of the three, and I've looked at all the offerings very carefully. But I look at it from the point of view of, but I know how this serverless offering works. I know how efficient it is. I know that it will give me the best offering for my users. 
So the likelihood is that I will spend less time in support. I will spend less time trying to work around the things that I, I know aren't particularly good in, you know, or the things that aren't particularly working in the way that I want them to work mm -hmm. in other platforms. Not to say that you couldn't work around the constraints in the other ways, but I, I can see that I know how um, the... I know how much less effort it is in AWS than it is in the other two clouds to produce a good application and to manage it and maintain it. And I've tried to build in all of them. So it just I, I see that efficiency in terms of time as mm -hmm. being a carbon impact as well. And I, and that's the trade-off that I see. So I see, I see that if I didn't see that, I would be moving over. Right. Does that make sense? So that that's that's how... That's how I look at that trade-off. Yeah, makes sense to me. All right, so one more question. Um, mm -hmm. This one is anonymous, and I'm assuming because it's such an easy question, um, you know, <laughs> that uh, they didn't right. want to have the they didn't want they didn't want to be named when they asked this easy question. Uh, it says Paul's articles on serverless have been thought-provoking in a good way um, about how he sees and has seen serverless evolving with the industry adopting serverless more and more. I wonder what he sees in the future of serverless and what he sees as the answer to. What is serverless 2025? So simple question. See if you can. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> where do I see serverless evolving? And what do I see serverless as 2025? That, that's well, thanks for that. Whoever sent that in. Um, oh, that's so. OK, I see. I see tools. I don't think we have the tool sets yet to properly build serverless applications. I see yeah. we have an awful lot of, uh, I see we have an awful lot of people building web applications on top of serverless. I don't see we have a lot of applications building um, the, 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 the ability to simply connect. So at the moment, I think we have things like SAM and CloudFormation and all you know th those bits that allow us to automate, but they're complex and they're not straightforward. And then we've got right. other tools on top of those, which, you know, your serverless frameworks and your, your um, uh, others, I can't think off the top right. of my head. And, you know, you've got all <laughs> this, you've got all this, but I think they are not yet evolved to where we need everybody else to get to. And I think yeah. until we have that next evolution of tools, and I think we I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen that tool yet that allows someone to come along and go, I just want to do X and that, you know, it's like three or four lines of code. And yeah. I think um I think begin and I think, you know, arc uh, architects and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you know, all of that I think has some of those elements, but is not quite there yet. I think it's a little bit missing a few pieces but you know but i think it for what it does it's brilliant so i think we're just missing some of those tools um i don't think we'll see a multi-cloud tool i think i i think the main three clouds in terms of serverless are so different in the way that they have mm -hmm. approached function as a service data and all of those things i think we will see that they uh the, i think they will diverge I don't think compute is the key anymore. Uh, I think we will also see serverless as being about more about data. I think we will see it less about computer, more about data. And I think we will mm -hmm. see the divergence in the clouds being about how people store data, how people use data, how people build 
pipelines around their data and how people move data at speed, uh, get queries out of their data. I think that's where the um, I think that's where the innovations will come. So basically, building the the um, building the building blocks. I think we'll get more of that, and then the 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 keys around the data. So it's it's we will see less relational databases. Yes, I really can't, <laughs> really can't stand them. Um, I think we will see. Uh, I think we will see some really, really fascinating data tools appearing. That's where I think yeah. 2025 is going to be. So, uh, when someone asks what serverless is going to look like, I think we we probably need to be looking at the the uh, the think what people are going to be really scared of is it's, it's going to move away from that three layer, which we still all think about in th the three layers, you know, your client, your server and your right. data and all that kind of stuff. We, we still all think in that world. I think we just, we are going to, it's going to be blown away. You know, the, the data layer is going to all of a sudden learn to compute and it's going to learn to do all of these clever things that we didn't realize it could do. And then all of a sudden these data scientists are going to walk in and essentially become very very much more key um for everything we build and that's where yeah. serverless is going so when we get to that level when we start to go down that road and i think some people are there but not everybody i think that's when we start to see what and away from microservices that that i think is right. a, is not where serverless is going that i think is where interesting so anyway yeah. that's that's my <laughs> broad thinking on where 2025 is going to be how's that yeah, no, I think that's great, and I and I, I agree. I think that you know one of the one of the most difficult things about serverless right now, despite the lack of tooling in many cases, um, is the fact that everything is a primitive, right? And you've got a lambda function that needs to connect to SQS, that needs to connect to you know Dynamo or whatever. You have this whole you have the, all these little tiny primitives, and what we really need is the building block needs to be more abstract um, than just those those tiny things. And as those patterns emerge, and we are already seeing a ton of them, um, you know, and as we start to encapsulate those into things like uh, the CDK and into uh, serverless components is something that is kind of an interesting uh, yep. thing that they're doing, like you said, architect, and some of these things that abstract away some of the more complex individual building blocks and make them much larger sort of pieces that you can put together. That's interesting. And then the data stuff, you're already seeing this. You're seeing Adobe. You're seeing, um, you know, Salesforce and some of these other ones. I think Twilio is doing it now too, where you can run serverless functions on their platform in reaction to data or, or you know, in reaction to the events that, you know, data changes in your system. Um, and that's going to be really interesting because then that hands off the compute and then the data, the data handling piece of it gets smarter. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, any, anything, anything else, I mean, we've covered quite a bit here, um, <laughs> but uh, any last words on serverless and, and going green? Oh, no, just more serverless and go green. I think it's just, I think it's just Perfect. very much a case of get on with it. Find, get, be, become an activist. I think it's, it's kind of what yeah, we all need idea. to be doing. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for this conversation. This was excellent. Um, I had a great time. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope the listeners enjoyed this. I think this is a little different than what we normally do, but, um, but, uh, but honestly, this is stuff that you, you know, that I'm passionate about. I know you're passionate about it. So anyways, if people want to learn more about what you're doing and learn more about, you know, green energy and, and, and how they can make an impact, um, what's the best way for, you know, for them to contact you or, or find out more? 
Uh, just Twitter. I'm, I'm on Twitter um, uh, at Paul D. Johnston. Uh, and uh, just also find me on roundaboutlabs.com. Um, mm. Just uh, my details are on there as well. So either, either way is absolutely fine. Awesome. And then your blog uh, is medium.com slash Paul D. Johnson as well. Yeah, right? yeah. that's correct. Awesome. Thank you again. Uh, we'll get all this information to the show notes. So if people want to go and check out the show notes, they can find the information there. Um, thanks again, Paul. Thank you for having me. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Paul Johnston for being my guest this week and to our sponsors, New Relic and Homeschool. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com 60. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.